So, Jerry, magic. Okay. Name three things you can do with it. Uh, I play the cleric in Dark Hound, so I got to start with Cure Wounds. Yep. Uh, you can blow stuff up. Oh, yeah, definitely. And warp reality, really. Yeah. So I think most people have a good handle on the first two, but I feel like people don't really have a good handle on that third one. It's a big one. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to, to play with that. So that's what we're talking about today? Yeah. So today let's talk about utility magic. All right. Hello and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks to help bring your game at home up to the next level. My name's Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden. And I'm Jared, a.k.a. DMF. Today's topic, we're talking about utility magic. Everybody knows that you can hurl fireballs and you can raise the dead with magic, but there's a lot of other things you can do that don't involve directly killing or unkilling something. Um, there's a lot of non-damaging effects that you can do to just shape the world around you that we feel like a lot of people aren't getting a handle on. Um, while this is going to be a great episode for players that are playing spellcasters and want a little more tips and tricks about how to do that, DMs should also have a good handle on utility magic because their antagonists that they're going to be putting the PCs against are going to have magic as an option. Once they have that resources, they should be using them intelligently or else you're really kind of selling your game short. Yeah, there's lots of places that you're going to be using magic as a DM, and not to mention that as the DM, you can just use magic anywhere you want. So I really feel like if anyone at the table has a good handle on magic, it should be the DM. Even more so than the guy that plays spellcasters all the time. I mean, because if you have someone at the table that's always playing a spellcaster, and you probably have at least a spellcaster in every party, whether it's the same player or not, you need to be able to handle and adapt to that and counter it and use your own magic in return so actually as a side note because we've seen this happen if you're having difficulty with the magic system if you're having problems wrapping your own head around magic a good tip run a low magic game yeah if it's a weakness for you reduce the presence there and you could still do some really fun stuff in D, &D. you know along the lines of more like conan and some of those pulp actions where magic is very rare but there's still a lot of fun stuff to do. Yeah, a little more Lord of the Rings. I mean, Lord of the Rings is kind of a low magic world. It actually is. It's there, and what is used is powerful, but it's not in abundance. It's not regular. You don't see it every day. So. Uh, yeah, and that's a good little side note. I definitely think low magic campaigns is a good way for DMs that have issues with or not as strong a grasp on the magic system or how to handle magic users. That's definitely a good, a good suggestion. But for those of you that are running a mid to high level uh, magic game, utility magic, you know, other than just curing and blowing things up. So we're actually going to start. Uh, I, I made sure I promised that I could kind of do this little tangent. This kind of starts with the origin of the Dungeon Master, mm -hmm. um, which really started with tabletop wargaming. Um, they did recreations of battles using miniatures and figures and then they started doing fantasy battles as well and this is uh early to mid 70s that that this really started to pick up and they ran into a problem because you could have an invisible cavalry coming around to flank or you could have a tree line where each tree was actually a trooper that was designed was disguised by an illusion spell and you couldn't just say that it was that way all along and you couldn't just tell your opponent because that would give it away so they needed to bring in a third party to referee 
um, that third party knew the secrets of both sides and kept both of them honest. Now, when they scaled down those tabletop role playing games or they the tabletop war games into the tabletop role playing games, the role of the referee became what we now call the dungeon master, controlling the world, understanding all of the secrets, the overseeing God. And so it was really because of this type of this first type of utility magic, which is battlefield manipulation that we have the DM to begin with. Yeah. And on the topic of, you know, illusion and... Battlefield manipulation. So battlefield manipulation. Battlefield manipulation is typically, you know, it's when you have your wizard or your sorcerer or whatever, the the spellcaster is using magic that will alter the battlefield or the the area where the fight is taking place. Typically, it's done mid-fight. But if they can get five seconds to prep a fight in an area, knowing that there's combat coming, that's all the better. But that's where you're going to be having like your walls of fog or your your fog clouds, your walls of stone, any sort of uh, spell that can physically affect the environment. Uh, there's other spells that might be considered battle ma- manipulation that aren't physical. But, you know, so starting with the physical, you're going to have your walls, um, things that affect vision again, like fog cloud. You're going to have like even like an earthquake spell where you might create like a chasm in the middle of the field. I remember seeing a spell in one of the editions that was just move earth. Yep. Which was just allows you to basically build like a like a World War One type trench in like an action and just like yep. cut it out. I don't even think it exists anymore, but I remember second edition there was I'm pretty sure there was like a dig spell or something like that. Like I wanna say, like you just make a hole. Um but you're also going to have, like, your entangling spells, like, you know, uh, uh, plant growth, yeah, spike plant growth, growth yeah. entangle. Yep, uh, Edward's black tentacles, you know, anything that will slow down the, you know, the uh, opponents or entangle them or, you know, you actually cause some damage. But typically, you know, your, your battlefield manipulation is going to be things that will give you advantages or give the rest of your, your uh, fellow compatriots advantages. Typically, your wizard in this kind of scenario is going to be standing back and they're going to be in some sort of uh, general-like position where they can kind of see the whole battlefield, see how things are playing out. And they're going to be the behind-the-scenes kind of strategist and they're not going to really be known. Um, typically, they're not praised as the hero of the, of the fight, you know. The, the fighter and the rogue are taking advantage of all this magic that's going on and they're using it to their advantage to to win the day. And typically the person in this kind of scenario that's going to be hoisted up after the battle, hip, hip, hooray, is going to be your fighter, your barbarian, one of your frontliners, while the wizard's in the back knowing that knowing that it's because of them that the, the, the battle was won, but they're not going to be the one that was the direct uh, victor, so to speak, because they didn't actually down the enemy. Now, if... Sometime during the battle, they throw out a fireball or two. Great, sure, fine. But typically, they're spending their their time and their actions, uh, you know, throwing up the wall to cut off, you know, the enemy lines. You know, again, putting the fog cloud out there to keep the enemy archers from having line of sight. Uh, you know, maybe you've uh, cast invisible on your rogue so they can sneak up to the enemy lines and you know and and flank the enemy before they're you know revealed to the party. Uh, Druids can use Pass Without Trace or Rangers as well. You know, there's a variety of things out there that will add some stealth to it, um, which kind of gets lends into the illusion aspect next yep. for utility magic. Um, I think also, even though it kind of crosses over into using magic to heal something directly, summoning spells can be yes. amazingly powerful in battlefield manipulation because if your parties are in a, a pitched 
but relatively equal battle, you can use summoning to now we have a contingent of bearers attacking the enemy flank. Right, yeah. And that can help sway the battlefield. Um, and also, these work on a smaller scale as well. You know, if you are in a dungeon and you're in a four-man party and the orcs are charging down the corridor, your wizard might just lay out a grease. You know, so now the entire floor of the corridor that they're coming down is that slick, you know, messed up. They're going to have a difficult time moving through it and they're going to be moving through it slower and one or two at a time coming right up to your fighter and rogue who are right there ready to take them, you know, and fight them right on the edge. So the fighters are on solid ground and the orcs are on the greased ground and you're taking advantage of all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anything that will infect the the environment, the, the play field that you're fighting in and give your side an advantage and the other side a disadvantage is basically what I would call, put in the you know the ground or the, the category of battlefield manipulation. And now the next one we were talking about on the list is illusion. Yes, illusion. Illusion is so powerful and it's one that I feel is really underutilized. Yeah. Um, illusionists... Can, may not be able to necessarily warp reality, but a good illusionist will make the enemy think that they did. Yeah. So the enemy is intimidated. The enemy is scared. The enemy is disoriented by, by what might be a very minor expenditure of resources on the illusionist's part. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a simple spell to make it look like there's a giant in front of you, but now the other party is like, whoa, he just summoned a giant. We need to be careful. How do we approach this? Maybe we should go get reinforcements, you know, and just be able to disrupt the enemy without a huge expenditure on your own part. Yeah. Uh, illusion magic is, again, it's absolutely hugely uh, powerful. It has pretty much limitless potential. I mean, you can make someone pretty much believe whatever you want them to believe. You know, uh, maybe you can't shapeshift, but you can cover yourself in an illusion. You don't even have to physically be there. You can just basically make the equivalent of like a hologram, just this illusion of a person and have a full on conversation, you know, with, you know, with the PC as this illusion. And the whole time they think that they're talking to that person. OK, yeah, well, I can't convince this person. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. You can edit this a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, you if maybe you're you know the the illusion NPC or illusionist you know can't you know they don't have the the social skills to try to convince the mayor of this town to to go and tell the PCs they need to leave town, but they can make an illusion and have the you know uh, what appears to be the mayor go tell these PCs get the hell out of Dodge. You know, maybe I can't summon an army, but I can make it look like there's an army behind me. Are you going to charge at me, you know, headlong without any preparation? If you see 14,000 people, you know, like soldiers fully armed standing behind me, you might think twice. Are you praying for guidance? Let me give you a divine vision. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you can do things like illusionary terrain to make it look like they're the enemy's charging you across the field, but you dug fortifications or pit traps or there's a yeah. canyon there yeah. you can have an illusion which the your soldiers look like trees so the enemy goes past the trees and engages your other forces and then all of a sudden the trees turn into soldiers and now the enemy is flanked mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of good options for illusion spells in your battlefield manipulation it's not so much the the manipulation of the field so much as it's 
the hiding of the manipulation of the field, or that's usually your best use of it. I mean, you can make it look like there's walls and stuff to, you know, I can't make a wall, but I can make it look like there's a wall there. And not many people are going to try to walk through a wall because typically you can't. So, and really, it's also that illusion's as good as the fog cloud spell. Yeah. If all you're looking to is just break line of sight. Mm-hmm. Um, an important point on illusions that I want to also hit before we move on is the illusion of the empty room. Um, this is something that I believe is a very powerful ability, and that's to conceal by showing people what they almost what they expect to see. Uh, the illusion of the empty room comes from the party that's in a keep that's being searched, and they're the wanted guards or they're wanted by the guards and just before the door gets thrown open the illusionist throws an illusion of an empty room over them the guard opens the door looks doesn't see anything walks away the party's there the guard never thought that it might be an illusion so they don't get a save to try to disbelieve and just that quick and easy made them see what they want to see it's kind of a you know the greatest trick the devil ever pulled type Mm -hmm. deal yeah um, and just little things like that can kind of swing and make illusion very, very powerful. Yeah, I think that it's one of those, like, I can't even almost fathom all the different ways you can use it. It's one of those, like, almost feel like I can't even fathom all the ways that I, you can use it. So, like, I almost don't even know where to start trying to illustrate it all. Yeah. Like, you can literally do pretty much anything with, you know, with illusion magic. And just you know, and an important note for, for you DMs, you know, is... Just because you don't see the spell or an illusion, you know, uh, magic that you're you're thinking of that you want to use in the, the the spell list in the back of the player's handbook, doesn't mean you can't just do it. Like honestly, when it comes to illusion magic, nine times out of ten, unless I'm actually looking for something that affects the party, I probably don't even lo- I don't even usually look for a spell. I just make the illusion happen. Well, I mean, even looking at them between minor illusion, major illusion, phantasmal force, yeah. hallucinatory terrain, and a few other spells, you can do pretty much whatever you want. Yeah, just with a handful of spells. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, and that's why I don't even really like. I'm not worried about looking for a spell that says you know, illusion giant or anything like that. I just, I just make an illusion and, you know, here's, you make a save if you don't believe what you're seeing, but nine times out of 10, like you said, there's no real reason that you have to disbelieve it. So it's very rare that you have the player go, well, I don't believe what's happening. Can I make a save? Um, I actually just had the image of the battlefield. We have the big Canyon and just an illusion of the bridge. And my troops are holding this end. Come get us. Which is a very reasonable thing. You know, Mm -hmm. we're bottlenecking the enemies through the bridge. And they get ready to charge the bridge. And the bridge turns out to be an illusion. And, And yeah, a good chunk of your forces go right down the pit. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when the guys in the back keep pushing after the guys in the front fall. So, um, moving along, we have this nice broad topic up next. Mm -hmm. As... I said warping reality. Warping reality, yeah. I kind of see warping reality as kind of the reverse of illusion. Like, just like how I kind of envision it in my head. Like, not like a spell list per se, but just illusion is making you think that something's there that it's not, or, or tricking you with your eye. Warping reality is taking what really is there, or either creating something that really is, you know, like the physical version of what the illusion is, or the opposite, where... The, like, say the illusion, like the example of the bridge. You know, you make an illusion of the bridge, and then they go to cross it, and, oh, it turns out to be an illusion, so they fall. Warping reality is there really is a bridge, but now I'm going to take it away. Yeah. 
Like there was there was physically a bridge there. In fact, that's almost, in my opinion, a little bit better in that situation than the illusion because the whole force or as much as you can get on that bridge is there. And then I pull it out from underneath your feet instead of the first, you know, front row of the rank falling off and like, oh, crap, they just fell right through that bridge and the rest of us aren't going to get on it. So, yeah, warping reality. I mean, just I think like you also level magic. Take that bridge out from underneath the enemy troops and put it elsewhere where your troops are already ready to cross. Exactly. Yeah. And by the time they realize that, oh, the points over there now, your troops are already flooding over and holding the far side rather than being a bottleneck. Yeah, when I think of, you know, warping reality, that's just, like, some of the stuff that comes to my mind. Like, I think of, honestly, I think of, like, Aladdin, like, with the genie. You know what I mean? Like, galactic cosmic power. You know what I mean? Just, like, phenomenal uh, cosmic yeah, power. Phenomenal <laughs> cosmic power. <laughs> but just doing whatever you want. Just, like, oh, I'm going to just refabric, you know, this entire room, and I'm not going to make it look like something with illusion. I'm just going to physically just alter it into whatever I see fit. Um. And actually, the world of darkness, and we were a little out of D&D, but it's still good. The the Ravnos clan had a, a discipline called Shimistry that involves illusion. And at the higher levels, their, re, their illusions are reality to the people they allow to perceive them. So they can actually create things with illusion. Like I could make an illusionary gun and shoot you and kill you. And all onlookers would see would be me going like this and pointing at you. Hmm. And all of a sudden you drop dead and that's nobody saw anything. That's insanely powerful. Hmm. Warping reality. (laughs) Um, And like you mentioned with the genie, the wish spell falls under this. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's probably the pinnacle (laughs) of warping reality. We could probably do an entire episode on wishes. Yes. So we're not going to get to into that now, but, but if there's something that you can't think of how to do it, just wish spell does it. If you're one of those people that like mechanically, you feel like there needs to be an actual written text behind what you're doing, whether you wrote it or it's in a book, the wish spell covers pretty much everything. So, Moving along, the next two are kind of connected, um, and these this is terminology from some of the three point five power gaming minimaxing the, the interwebs. Really, is what it is. It is, <laughs> um, and they are save or suck, yep. and save or lose. Right. Yeah. Um, and essentially, those are the spells that, again, not damaging, but the opponent has to make a saving throw. If they fail that saving throw, they either have a major disadvantage to deal with, this, which is the save or suck spells. And those are like web or hold person um, or blindness. You know, it immediately puts them at a huge disadvantage. And then the save or lose is if you don't make the save, the fight is over and I win. Yeah, I feel like hold person is probably save or lose, not save or suck. Well, yeah, yeah, I... I would think, like, the first two spells that come to my mind for Saber Suck is Slow. Yes. And Curse. Yep. Or Bestow Curse, I think, technically. Like, even in 5th edition, it's like, you know, a minus 6 to a stat or some other, like, huge detriment. And then one of the first spells, again, that comes to my mind for, like, Save or Lose, I mean, is Hold Person. Like, as one of the weaker ends of Save or Lose. Yeah, when I I go Save or Lose, the first two that I come up with are... Uh, like finger of death or power word kill type, yeah. like the insta kills. Well, yeah, but that's, you know, save or, you know, I mean, save or lose is, is yeah. kind of its own thing. I think and, save or die is kind of another. Yeah. And and the other save or lose 
because I, I love to use this, is something like a plane shift or a teleport. Yeah. yeah. Where, oh, your warrior is charging me, and now he and now I just snap my fingers and he's on another plane. Mm-hmm. He has no way to get back. He's out of the fight. For him, it's done. Yeah. That um, is a very dirty trick to use. I don't as a DM, think though. it's in like baleful teleportation. That's a previous edition, I think, right? I don't yeah. think that's in fifth. But that's another one, like where you again, you just see ya, bye, gotta Teleport go. Teleport other. Yep. Uh, petrification, you know, flesh to stone. Yep. That's another saber, like, you might not technically be dead. Uh, prismatic spray. Yeah. Earlier editions, I, I don't know if I've looked at it at fifth edition yet. I might have to give that a shot sometime. Yeah, honestly, I'm sitting here thinking, like, I really need to just read through the spell section of fifth edition. Like, <laughs> I've looked at a lot, but I haven't just read it from A to Z like I have in the past. Um, but yeah, there's just save or lose again, and like you, it's not technically doing damage, but you you make a save, and if you fail, there's a great many things that either like either you're straight out of the fight, or there's a great many things that the party can just do to you at their own leisure to just kill you or win the fight. Save or suck is you are now have a huge detriment against you, and winning from this point on is near impossible. You know, having a slow spell stuck on you when you have when you're especially alone against a full party of PCs, or even dropping the slow spell on somebody who relies on their speed and agility, like like a uh, thief category rogue yeah. or a melee ranger or a monk. You mm-hmm. know, being being forced to you know move at whatever to half speed or whatever it is, yeah. and just taking away that advantage. If you take away the enemy's advantage, it puts you at it at the advantage. Yeah, and again, the bestow curse. Like all of a sudden, like, oh, you're a barbarian. I just gave you a minus six to your strength. That sucks. Yeah. Like unless you are unless you have a, even if you have a twenty strength, you just drop from twenty to six uh, to fourteen. You just went from a plus four to a plus two. Now. The plus you went from a melee headliner to a support melee. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it only went from a plus five to a plus two. You only took away three, you know, plus three. Well, plus three in fifth edition is, that's a big plus. Like, yeah. that's, that, yeah, it can be huge. Or even worse, do it on their dex save and then start doing save or suck, you know, dex-based save throws. Like web. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you start, yeah, start stacking those against them. Yeah. So those are some other good utility magics that you can just, you know, screw with people. Like, it doesn't have to be a fireball and a lightning bolt all the time. Um, and actually, I think the exact opposite of the fireball, the lightning bolt, uh, we've got the charms. Yeah. Charm spells on the list. Yeah. So now instead of directly trying to kill them, I want you to be my friend. Mm-hmm. Whether you want it or not. Right, yeah. And 5th edition charms are a little quirky. A lot of the charm spells, like, after it wears off, you know you were charmed. You know a spell was used against you. But still, the whole time you're charmed, you're charmed. So, And and a high enough level uh, enchantment mage, it removes that special, that limitation. Right, yeah. Which gets really scary. Yeah, it does get scary. Um, And also, because charms kind of fall under a save or suck or save or lose. They do, yeah. I just kind of feel that they're their own special category. They are, because they also, the the save or spells uh, are very much in combat. Mm -hmm. Here's what we can do. Charms have a huge range of options outside of combat. Right, yeah. And that's one of the the things that I've always uh, liked about the, like, the enchanter style wizard you know with the charms and the controls is the fact that like i might not be doing a lot in combat but i'm doing a lot 
every other situation or I have the options of, you know, being very useful in all these other situations. I might not be good at picking locks, but I can tell that guy to take his key ring and open that door. You know, uh, I might not be the best at, uh, you know, typically your, your people that are, are charmers, I've noticed, tend to also build up their social stats a little bit the best yep. they can within that class because usually you're a wizard or sorcerer. Um, well, well, I mean, a lot of the charms don't automatically like override the target's natural urges. You know, right. they're not mind controls. They're just, they make you positively inclined towards you. Yeah. So if you have advantage on the roll, doesn't really help you so much if you're taking a minus four on the roll because you have no charisma. Right. Yeah. But I mean, in social situations, you're going to be one of the headliners uh, in a lot of utility situations. You have the potential if you're not the headliner to help the headliner or to charm slash control someone to be the headliner for you. Again, you know, I don't have to be able to, uh, you know, pick locks. We don't have a rogue in the party. I don't have to be able to pick without locks, but I can tell that guy that's got the keys to open the door. You know, great example. Uh, social situations, obviously. Hey, king, need a favor. Charm person. Uh, you know, make my diplomacy check or whatever check I need to make. So you're going to help us out? Thanks a lot. Really appreciate that. Realistically, I think as a DM, though, as soon as you throw any sort of spell towards the king, the DM should have about a contingent of guards coming down on top of you because the king is going to be warded and protected, and they're going to make sure that nobody does any sort of magic unless no, they say so. That depends on the campaign and the setting. I mean, that, I mean, I completely understand where you're coming from. I think that that's something that a lot of DMs might not take into account. Like, if it's... You know, if you're the king of, like, a nation, yes. Yeah. If you're the king of some tiny little, like, hobunk region, yeah. maybe not. And also, this might be, you know, the charms can get really powerful in a low magic world. Yeah. Oh, extremely powerful in a low magic world, yeah. Because, well, why did you do that? Oh, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. You know, most people haven't had access to magic, so they don't even realize that they've been magically manipulated. Yeah, and I might even play up the whole, like, okay, well, normally you automatically know that you were charmed and you know that magic was used. I might even twist that the whole, like, I felt like I didn't have control of my own body. You know what I mean? Like, like they knew something was wrong. Something felt supernatural-ish, but they didn't automatically know that someone charmed them. You know, if it's a low magic world where you don't really hear about that a lot, they might not understand what just happened. But yeah, and also, also with the charms as mind controls... You're not going to use Charm Person, a first-level spell, on the king and say, hey, make me the king instead. And right. the king goes, okay, you are now the king. Right. Um, charms have a limit. Uh, I know in some of the previous editions, people would make them their characters out to be able to make insane difficulty checks. And so you could say, like, oh, that's a, that's a DC 40 persuasion check, and they'd make it. Mm-hmm. Um, as a DM, you should just be able to shut those down and feel comfortable saying, no, it's entirely unreasonable for under any circumstances for the king to turn the kingdom over to somebody he just met. Yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. Not with a charm spell. But then you have the Gia spells. I right. Mean, where, like, you're my bitch. Like, there's just, you're going to do whatever I tell you to do, unless I tell you to walk off a cliff. I, I'm pretty sure you at least get another save throw if it doesn't automatically break by trying to get, you know, self-preservation thing. Yeah. You, know, you can't just say, kill yourself. But yeah, I mean, I think in previous editions it was like quest slash Gios. I think it's just Gios now. I don't think there's the quest spell anymore. But yeah, just 
Uh, for X number of days, you're going to do whatever I tell you to do. Well, and then, I mean, really, if we're getting into the high-level stuff, you've also got stuff like Domination. Yeah. Um, Wish, again, you know, I wish the kingdom would be turned over to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the whole, oh, hey, uh, I mean, and think from, like, an NPC standpoint, okay? I'm a powerful enchanter, evil wizard dude. This party has come to end my existence for whatever reason or to stop my evil plans and you just quickly look around the party okay um technically that wizard is my biggest threat but he also probably has a good save against what i'm about to throw out but that barbarian is really going to tie up the party if i that barbarian who's standing right next to the wizard with a great axe in hand he's going to tie up that wizard so let me just not even i'm just control you real quick tell you to go after the the wizard and now the wizard's occupied, and you just took the barbarian and the wizard out of the equation in theory. Or the wizard, at the least, is going to have to throw out some powerful magics to now subvert his ally, presumably not trying to just insta-kill him, you know. And, yeah, okay, boom. Uh, kill the wizard, and then if you're successful with him, kill the rest of your friends. That's the first round. As before, initiative might even be rolled. Yep. You know. Or the second initiative is rolled, and the second I have a combat, boom. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm just going to screw up the whole plan. And now, okay, now it's my turn again. Guess what? I could probably do that a second time. Now let's hit the uh, let's hit the cleric and take healing magic out of the equation. You come over here, stand next to me, stand in front of me, and heal me if I take any damage. Cleric might have a good wisdom save against that. He might have a good wisdom save. I was thinking the next one to go for is the rogue. The rogue would definitely be a good one. Surprise! And, sneak attack! Yeah. Send him on the cleric. <laughs> um, also, back to World of Darkness, there's a very nasty high level of the, the vampiric discipline of Dominate, which is, I believe it's called Clone Mind, in which not only do I control you, but your mind becomes a copy of my mind, subservient to the mastermind. So not only are you going to act in my best interests... You're going to act as if you were me, acting in the original's best yeah, interests. Pretty cool. It's pretty dangerous. It's an epic level equivalent. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would think so. Um, we do. We do have one more that we that we wanted to go over real quick, even though we've talked about it. Uh, yeah, we've talked pretty about recently, yeah. um, and that's divination. Yeah, divination. It's very much utility magic, and it, it needs to be you know on the list. Divination is again because it's. You're not dealing combat, but it can give you so many advantages in every situation. There is no situation I can think of that can't be boosted or assisted or you know made easier without divination you know, by by using divination magic. Use divination mm-hmm. magic makes life easier. You know, if you can use clairvoyance and see off, you know, see the situation before you're actually physically there, or to scry a situation and just like. I'm going to go, I'm going to scry, we got to go into this dungeon, but I'm going to scry in there, I'm going to take a look around, okay, now I know that in the treasure room, which we probably wouldn't have found if I didn't scry to begin with, because it's heavily, uh, you know, hidden, I know that in the treasure room, there's, you know, there's a few succubi in there, along with, you know, a couple minotaurs that are all pissed off and ornery. So let's be prepared. So now we know. And outside the treasure room where the boss is, you know, this is the boss and this is what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And so now we know, okay, we can, we, okay. Uh, you know, it's almost like you have uh, like, uh, I'm trying to think like almost like, have you ever, if you've ever seen like the movie next where you just like see two minutes ahead into the future all the time, but I'm not 
I'm just kind of using that as reference of like, it's like you're walking through and you're just guiding the party. Like, okay, up here on the left, goblins. Around the corner on the right, kobolds. Up here is the minotaur. Around the corner is going to be the glabber zoo. Okay, everyone hold your breath. Stink cloud coming our way. You know what I mean? Just like, you just know what's coming. You know, just, you know everything that's going to happen. You've already looked and you've already seen, you've, you know, you've used divination spells and or the divin the divination spell or scrying or clairvoyance and all these other spells to just know what you're walking into. I can use um, a spell and if I do try to talk to the king and get him to persuade or persuade him to give me an army to go fight the orc army, will he say yes? Okay, if I if I plead my case, he there's a chance he will say yes. And as as the cleric for for our Dark Hounds game, the clerical, the divine divinations come right down to, I don't know. I'm going to ask my God. Yeah. You know, augury, commune, contact other plane, just the ability to just be able to like, I'm going to talk to a higher power. Give me advice on what to do here. Mm -hmm. And that's insanely powerful. Um, the bard ninth level spell. Uh, foresight, I believe it's called. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh, it's. For 5th edition specifically, it's an 8-hour concentration is not required. And it gives you advantage on all rolls, and you cannot be surprised, yeah. I believe. It's just the summary of it. Yeah. So it's a very it's a very brief, like, like this is what it is. Like, for the next 8 hours, you have premonitions of everything that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But that's just a huge yeah. Every game changer. Every time you pick up a friggin' D20. <laughs> yeah. Roll two of them. Take the best. Yeah. I, I I know what I'm getting into. Oh, I'm shooting blind. I have disadvantage, but I have advantage on every single roll, so it's still just a straight roll for me. Yeah. It's like I'm not even blindfolded. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Ridiculous. That's the power of divination. Yeah. And in my opinion, greatly underused. Yes. Uh, Illusion and divination, I think, are the two underutilized magics that have so much potential in Dungeons and Dragons specifically, but in most most all games that have magic, you know, illusion and, and divination right. are are very potent. And uh, I mean, it's it's for a lot of those, it's up to the PCs to use those to their advantage. Um, but the DMs is running the antagonists. There's very little that's more iconic than the evil wizard in their lair, scrying on the heroes, seeing what they're up to, so they can send out their minions. You know, everything from like the fantasy novels to the Wizard of Oz. Like, let's use this and and take the advantage of it. Yeah, and the, the important thing for, for the DM side of it, you know, the, the reason that we're bringing this up is you need to be prepared to deal with it. Like, that's kind of like the point of this this episode is you need to be prepared to deal with it. Not prepared in the, the sense of, like, you're trying to thwart it, but prepared in the sense that they should be using it and you should know how to handle it. Like, divination specifically, like, if I'm going to ask my god for advice... I should know how the god will reply. I should be able to handle that situation. Okay, they pray to this god that is chaotic good, like they want them to win, but they're a little flighty. So how might that come through with the answer that is given to them? Uh, so, yeah, being able to uh, be prepared for those situations, even if you don't actually have, like, notes on it, but you already kind of have an idea, this is how this kind of god might typically, you know, respond, or the kind of visions that might fill the PC's head... Um, you know, these are the kind of uh, situations, or maybe you're improving this dungeon crawl, and all of a sudden they're scrying ahead of time, and you're like, uh, <laughs> I forgot you had scrying. 
I should have prepared this dungeon instead of tried to wing it. <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever want to try to do a dungeon crawl on the fly. <laughs> I mean, I don't feel like I couldn't, but I don't don't think I would ever want to. Well, well, there's a challenge for uh, for all of our fans out there. See if you can uh, run a dungeon crawl on the fly and let us know what type of a mess it turns out to be. <laughs> Yeah. It's right about there, I think, is a good point to wrap it up for today. Um, and we hope you enjoyed listening to us discussing utility magic and options that you can use in your game. So thank you for joining us for our show today. As always, if you have any comments on today's topics or any stories you'd like to share about how you used it in your game, feel free to get in touch with us. Also, if there's anything you'd like to hear us discuss, let us know. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash GameMasterStudio. Subscribe for exclusive access to early content and also a few other special surprises and tricks we've been putting up there. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. We are GMS Studios, uh, available on Facebook for you to like, comment, and subscribe. And we have new episodes coming out every week with more information on running your game. We're posting them on Podbean at GameMasterStudio.Podbean.com through iTunes and available now on YouTube as well. Speaking of YouTube, check out our Darkhounds 360 VR campaign. Watch us play through, use the tips that you see here, and occasionally miss an opportunity. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. We'll see you the next time that we get back into the studio.